when I was younger, um, we, me and my brothers built uh, little carts that we rode on. Uh, little little makeshift carts out of plywood and two-by-fours and whatever wheels we could find. And we would make these little carts and have a competition, and whether it was strings that we tied to a, a two-by-four to steer it, or we steer it with our feet, we would, we would race one another uh, with these little carts. And so we would design them and race them, but we'd race them down a gravel hill, and as you might expect, there was a few wipeouts. And so as you're skidding down on your elbows and, and they're all uh, scraped up and then you're going back to mom. Hey mom, look what happened. And so she pulls out the peroxide. And so you're trying to act tough because you're the big brother, but she's pouring the peroxide on and you're screaming in pain and, and they're making fun of you. I, I told this to the, the staff. I said I, I was going to use a, uh, an example of, of the pain of peroxide. Um, and, and one person, not going to mention her name, Rebecca, um, <laughs> said... What is your pain tolerance? <laughs> but this is applied, and peroxide is applied uh, to prevent something worse. As there might be something temporary that takes place, some temporary, momentary light and pain, but it's preventing something much more dangerous in the future. You might laugh at peroxide and a, and a child, but. Many in this room have been touched by cancer, have undergone pain from doctors. Not because the doctors were malicious, but in order to present, prevent something much worse. Sometimes we're okay talking about this when it comes to physical things. But we want to avoid all pain, all difficulty when it comes to our Christian life. And often it is the pain, it is the difficulty, it is the afflictions in this world that God uses to shape us, to change us into the image of His Son, Jesus. As we talk about what God does through persecution, what we need to understand is there a broader category of suffering that persecution falls under. And so much of what God is doing in and through suffering, we can say, persecution, we can say that he is also doing in and through suffering. And so I'm going to use the terms interchangeably a bit. I'll talk about some specifics of persecution but I'm doing this because many of us, even if we're not facing harsh persecution, we are and will face suffering in this life. So let's look at what this does for us as Christians. Let's look at how God uses this and uses suffering to have proper barriers in our life to keep us 
from danger. Before we do, I want to first discuss the danger of talking about purposes. The danger of talking about purposes is this. If we understand what God has done and is doing through suffering and persecution and difficulty in this life, the danger is we will endure the trial, we will endure the suffering because of a specific reason. So we, it's okay that I'm suffering this because I know this will be the result. But the danger in that is that we're no longer trusting our good God, but simply one of his purposes. My hope, my prayer, my desire for you as we work through these is that we will start to understand the character of who God is. That we can trust him even if we don't know all the ins and outs. Even if we don't know the why. That this is a good God who has good purposes for his people. First, let's understand that God uses suffering to build up and strengthen individual Christians. God uses suffering to build up and strengthen individual Christians. How? In what way? Well, Psalm 119, verse 67 says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. The first way that we grow as individual Christians is to grow in holiness. God in his kindness will sometimes use suffering to get our attention, to wake us up to sin's deception in our lives. We know that as a Christian, suffering is never God's condemnation. Romans 8.1 tells us this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But suffering can be God's blessing to wake us up. Pain, as C.S. Lewis writes, insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How many times have I counseled or met with students and they're struggling and saying, I, I know I need to pursue the Lord. And, and the reason is God woke them up because of something that had happened in their life. Some affliction that they faced. Next, God uses it to build perseverance. The Christian life is a race that calls for perseverance. We're responsible to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. And we can only do that by the, persevering, the per- preserving grace of God. Now, how does God cause us to persevere? Like, we, we know verses, we have them memorized, like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. I will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But how does that happen? I think an ordinary way that that happens is God has brought us through trial. He has taught us, he has trained us so that we're able to face the temptations in our life. Sometimes we read that verse and we simply think of this mystical power that might happen. Well, what of its ordinary grace that God has been working in our life through the difficulties? This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know suffering 
produces perseverance. So the temptation that you face a year from now, maybe the difficulty you're suffering through today is how God will preserve you through that future trial. We need perseverance to finish the race and God, and God uses trials as a means. Next is to grow us in maturity. We turn to James, we find the same idea of perseverance as we did in Romans, the beginning of James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. But perseverance isn't an end in and of itself, because he continues in verse 4 saying this, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Over time, experiencing God's grace in the midst of trial. We lean on Him. We trust in Him. We understand what He's doing to make us mature, to be strong in the Lord and mighty in His power, as Ephesians 6.10 says. So do you want to be useful to God? Do you want to have strength of faith? Do you want to be rooted and sound in your Christian walk? These things happen as we understand God's word. As we learn God's word, as we develop maturity, often through pain. Often through trials. Next, to teach us his word. Psalm 119 verse 71 says this, It was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your decrees. It's one way that we come to understand the Bible. I say, why, why is, how do we understand the Bible that way? Because well, sometimes suffering is what softens our hearts so that we don't just hear, but we listen to God's Word. It speaks into our life situation. Puritan Richard Baxter said this, he says, Suffering so unbolts the door of the heart that the word hath easier entrance. It's one thing to read about God's comfort. It's another to experience it. And God, in his kindness, often uses difficulties in our lives to teach us his word. Now, of course, that assumes that we don't miss what he's teaching us. Are we attentive? Next, to wean us off self-reliance. 2 Corinthians uh, 1, uh, verses 8 and 9, we are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. How often can we trust in ourselves? How often do we think that we are strong enough to endure anything? I like how uh, one one, uh, theologian put it, he said, sometimes we think of ourselves as just a sturdy oak tree. 
Just winds come, there's, there's nothing knocking this down. And then what happens is winds and, 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 and forces come and, and it just topple down. I thought it was strong. But he said, if you understand that you're just a blade of grass, it's just a little, little that you're just going to move all over the place, like you're weak, then what are you going to do? You're going to wrap yourself around something strong. He's like, that's what we have to do as, as Christians. We're, like, we're wrapping ourselves around the solid beam that is Jesus Christ, and nothing that we face will knock him down. Trials, persecutions. We're hearing stories and we're hearing about people enduring. They are trusting in the strength of the Lord. Notice what you don't hear is, oh, this is difficult, but we're awesome. Like, we're getting through. Like, be proud of us. Look at us. And I say, no, no, Jesus is worth it. Like, he, he's, he's with us. Pray for faith because we're weak. We need that because we're so prone to rely on ourselves and we're in desperate need of God. Remind yourself you need to lean on God. It's a good thing. Next, God uses suffering to build up and strengthen the church. God uses suffering to build up and strengthen the church. Not only does he strengthen individuals, but he works through suffering to build up other people within the church. This is true of suffering in general, and is also true of the specifics of persecution. 2 Corinthians talks about the suffering that Christians face and how it can be used to come alongside and encourage each other. Listen to what it says in verses 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, listen to this, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We can encourage one another. Remember being in Pennsylvania, and uh, we went to a uh, uh, just a, a chain bookstore. So it wasn't a Christian bookstore, just a chain bookstore, and and we were in uh, the Christian kind of section of uh, this store, and uh, a lady had a book about how to deal with uh, losing a son or losing a child. And as she was looking at the cover, I saw another lady walk up to her and simply ask gently, is this book for you? And she said, yeah, this book's for me. And I saw two ladies at a bookstore, didn't know each other at all, break down in tears, hugging one another, comforting one another, the one sharing how God is, is, is leading her through and has led her through something special that was shared. Perhaps the most encouraging moment for me personally was 
after youth group one night. Two girls in youth group. One having lost her father to cancer. The other, her mother just diagnosed with cancer. Sitting with one another, crying, holding one another. A beautiful picture of God's love and encouragement. Like, I don't know what I taught that night, but God's teaching me a whole lot through these two in this moment. He uses suffering to encourage one another, to build up the church. Here's another one that we might not think about as we're talking about coming together, the the importance of unity. Our church covenant reads like this, we engage to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. Harboring bitterness against each other Having a heart that's unwilling to forgive drives a wedge between believers. It's not healthy for the individual and is not honoring the name of Christ. We're to be, as Matthew 18, 15 says, if if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. How many times are we okay with distance between us and another person, even within this local church. We paste on a smile, you know, for appearance's sake while we're at church, but we avoid them at the grocery store. Duck down another aisle. Persecution and suffering shatter the wedge between Christians and showcase the urgency of reconciliation. When Greta's family members are being persecuted and killed for their faith, it's really hard to be bitter and angry against her because that Facebook comment, um, I think she was being passive-aggressive, I think she was being mean to me, um, and uh, so I just don't like her. We can't do that when everything is at stake. We don't have time to harbor these, these little conflicts between us. It makes the urgency of being together that much more important. It makes forgiveness urgent. Listen, this is some, not something that we have to wait for persecution. Wait for problems in our life. This is something that should be on the forefront of our mind. But persecution often challenges us to obedience in this area. Not only does it challenge us to obedience in this area, it also challenges us out of complacency. Looking at the videos and the difficulties of the persecuted church around the world, it's hard not to look at our own life. Think about how we're using the freedom that we have to share the good news with those around us to live for Him. 
we become more concerned sometimes with our comfortable lives than our Christian witness. When others suffer for the sake of Jesus, we cannot help but be appalled by our lack of courage and our own lack of concern. Third, God uses suffering to grow the church. God uses suffering to grow the church. I'm going to read something from the early church that documents their behavior. It says, The Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language nor customs which they observe. For they neither inhabit cities of their town nor employ a peculiar form of speech, nor lead a life that is marked out by any singularity. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As, as citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if they were foreigners. Every foreign land to them is their native country, and every land of their birth is as a land of strangers. They marry as all others do. They beget children, and, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They're in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey their prescribed laws, and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men, and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, and yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of, and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners. They are persecuted by the Greeks. Listen to this. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. As we live faithfully in the midst of persecution, it showcases the gospel. It showcases the gospel. And this is the type of living, if, if you um, did the tactics uh, Bible study, it's, it's, it's a stone-in-the-shoe type of living. Uh, in this series, they said, uh, sometimes as you're having conversations with people, just simply put a stone in their shoe to cause them to, to think, to stop, to kind of, that's, that's nagging at me, that's bugging me a little bit with, with what they said, or like, that's causing other questions in my life. They said, by the very way that they're living, they're saying, I don't know, they just, they're living differently, and, and <sighs> we hate them, but we don't know why. Remember what we read at the beginning? Jesus says, they're doing that because of me. First Peter three fifteen and 16, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason the hope is, that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Now they're living out First Peter here. There's something different. 
If we persecute them, we know it's on us, not on them. The next way that it uses to grow the church, this idea of, of growing the church, of other people knowing or asking questions about what's happening, is relocating his people. In the beginning of Acts, Jesus kind of gives a charge to them. He says, but you will be, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is the commission. This is what they're supposed to be doing. Spreading out and sharing the good news. That's Acts 1.8. Then in Acts 8.1, listen to these words. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So you're, you're supposed to, okay, you're in Jerusalem, but you're supposed to spread out to all of Judea and Samaria. And then we see persecution comes and they're spread out to all of Judea and Samaria. Difficulties coming. Hardships are coming. Uh, we can no longer live here because we're being persecuted. So we're going to other towns and by God's grace, other towns are hearing about Jesus. People that might not otherwise hear about Jesus are. Because his people are being spread out. Uh, an amazing thing that God uses, even persecution, to draw sinners to himself. To save people who might not otherwise hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And also, we touched on this a little bit already, is to embolden Christians. Persecuted Christians challenge us. They give us courage. If they are enduring this, how can we be afraid of any discomfort? Paul writes in Philippians how this worked with his life. Philippians 1 verse 14. And, the mo- <clears throat> and most of the brothers, having been competent in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because Paul's being persecuted, they can live lives that are fearless. Or at least be challenged to have a little bit more courage. Fourth, Christians who follow Christ no matter the cost, glorify him. Glorify him. Because they are, not, they are satisfied in God alone. John Piper's entire ministry can probably be summed up with this phrase. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Our satisfaction in God above all else proclaims his beauty to the watching world. Church Father Augustine said it like this, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The psalmist in Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26 says this, Who am I I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It is one thing to say today, after we go, after we leave church, that God is all we need, that He alone satisfies. It's another to say that and live a life that reflects it 
by facing trials and persecution and still saying that God is worthy to be followed. But when we do that, our lives declare God's worth. It's the anti-prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says things like this, come to God and you'll be healthy and wealthy. And if you only have enough faith, then everything will go right in your life. And you can name things and claim things and you can be a little God yourself. Instead, those who suffer for their faith proclaim the worth and value of God. The Apostle Paul's life is an example of this. He said, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The prosperity gospel isn't garbage because it promises too little, but because it misses the beauty of who God is. It says, come to God, and you will get this, and you will get that, and you will get this. Your life's okay now. You want it even better? Do this. The true gospel says, you're running a life in rebellion to Jesus Christ. You think these things will satisfy. You think that you have hope in your riches, in who you are, in your own strength. Here's the truth. You have sinned against a holy God, and you cannot save yourself. But there is a God who loves you. There's a God who, out of that love, sent his son Jesus to take your place, to suffer in your place, so that if you turn and trust in him, you will be forgiven, and you will be made right with him. And he will be with you in every trial that you face. And he is preparing a place even right now for you to be with him forever. He is more valuable than anything the world can offer. And he will never let anything snatch you out of his hand. Brothers and sisters, like that's us. The suffering that we face, the difficulties that we face, that's God working in and through our lives, confirming with us that we are his children, that he loves us, that through us he's making his name known to the world, that through us like we get to be a part of what he's doing in the world, like through us other Christians can be encouraged. We go from rebel against God to somebody that God is using to proclaim his worth to the nations. He says, I want you, and I'm going to use you to proclaim myself to everybody around. We get to be a part of that. And Christians around the world are suffering for the greatness of who God is, and they will be rewarded, and, and, and we are are encouraged and challenged by them. Even if we go through small things today. There's a unity. There's a oneness in the body of Christ. And one day we will be united with each and every one of them. One day we will be singing the praises of our great God. The God who loves us. 
the God who's making his name known, the God who's working in the hearts and lives of each of us here today. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you use persecution, how you use suffering in this life to shape us into the image of Jesus. God, we are so rebellious. We are so hard-hearted. We, we go to our own uh, way, and, and sometimes we think that satisfies, but yet you, out of your love, redirect. You, out of your love, allow us to proclaim your worth to the nations. Help us to learn from those who are persecuted. Challenge us out of complacency. Help us as we come back tonight, as we pray for them. God, um, be with them. Comfort them. Comfort us this week. Comfort those who are uh, here this morning, who are suffering, who are going through hardship, who are, who are finding a battle to fight for their faith. God, help them know they can wrap themselves around you and that you are enough. Help others to come alongside in Christian love and to be there. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.